following message is by Dr. Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. The scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And it reads, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who has hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The movie Amadeus tells the story of the famous composer Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, but it does so through the eyes of another man named Antonio Salieri. As the appointed director of the Italian opera under the Habsburgs, Salieri longed for greatness, longed to write Transcendent music for the glory of God. He longed for this greatness, but at the same time, he knew that he fell short of it. All the while, he witnessed the rise of this man, Mozart, a musical genius who had little regard for God, but behaved like a childish, womanizing buffoon. Listening to these pieces that Mozart was able to produce, Seemingly effortlessly, Salieri's heart ached at the beauty of the music that he witnessed, knowing that he would never be able to create anything half as good. And so over time, Salieri grows not so much to hate Moses as much as he grew to hate God. How could a just God lavish such extravagant musical gifts to somebody as undeserving as Mozart, while he 
desiring to glorify God, went through his life unrewarded. Salieri finds that he cannot worship a God like this. I want to ask you this evening, as we gather for this Good Friday service, can you identify with Salieri's complaint? God, why does it seem like so often in life you, you, you reward the undeserving while you ignore the requests of the righteous, of the deserving? This gets at the heart of what I want to talk with you in this Good Friday message tonight. At least at the beginning of the story that Jesus tells, it's one that everyone who was listening to him that day would have been familiar with. A wealthy landowner has a vineyard. And it's implied that it's probably harvest season. He has employees, but obviously not enough for the harvest. And in fact, it would make no sense for the landowner to permanently hire enough workers to do a job like the harvest. It's seasonal work. And so he does what any other landowner would do during harvest days, the crack of dawn. He goes to that spot in town where all the unemployed people gather each day, hoping to find a job. It's sort of, I guess, probably the ancient equivalent to our Home Depots, you know, where you've got people waiting there for contract work. And when I say unemployed, I don't mean the, I'm in between jobs right now, but I've been throwing my resume around out there, and I've got some solid leads kind of unemployed. I mean the, if I don't work today, my wife and children do not eat, kind of unemployed. The people who hung out at places like where the landowner went, looking for odd jobs, were on the bottom rung of Jewish society. They were the desperate poor, day laborers who depended on these temporary jobs for their very survival. If they didn't work, they didn't eat that day. It's important for us to understand that it is from this class of people from which this landowner draws his workers. And he makes an arrangement with these hired ones that he would pay each one of them a denarius, which was considered a fair day's wage at that time. Everything up to now would have been utterly understandable and makes sense to everyone in Jesus' audience. But it's at this point that things start to take a rather bizarre turn. We're told that at the third hour, the landowner goes back to the same spot and finds more people just standing around, and he hires them also. It's interesting because the Jews marked the start of the day as sunset, the evening. That was the start of their day. But when they numbered the hours of the day, they began with sunrise, or 6 a.m., And so when we're told that it was the third hour, that would have been between 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. To this group, he actually doesn't quote a fee like he did to the first group because it's messy now. They're not going to work a full day's worth of work. So he simply tells them, just go to my field and start work, and I'll pay you a fair wage, whatever that's going to be. Then at the sixth hour, which would have been between 11 a.m. to noon, He goes back a third time, and he hires even more people and makes the same arrangement with them. But the landowner is not done. Because again, at the ninth hour, which would have been between 2 p.m. and 3 p.m. in the afternoon, he goes back a fourth time and hires even more workers. 
It's at this point that the story would have started becoming utterly nonsensical to Jesus' Jewish audience. Landowners do not behave like this. Harvesting their crops is not something mysterious to a landowner because they do it every single year. They know exactly how many workers they need to work their field in order to get their job done. Is this landowner clueless to his needs for his own fields? I don't think so. I think the only way to explain the strange behavior of this landowner is to realize that he is not hiring based on his own needs. But he seems to be driven by his compassion for these unemployed workers. He just can't seem to help himself. And so he keeps going back over and over again to the same spot. And he keeps finding people who are desperate, who weren't able to secure jobs that day. And he keeps hiring everybody that he can and giving them jobs. He doesn't need them, but his heart breaks as he sees their desperation. You can almost imagine him saying, I've got more than enough workers. I don't even know what to do with all of you. But it doesn't matter. Every one of you come to my fields. Everyone just pick three grapes. It's enough. It just doesn't matter. Come work for me. As if this wasn't enough, the landowner goes out one last time. And now we're told it's the 11th hour between 4 p.m. and 5 p.m. in the early evening. This is absolutely ridiculous now because the workday is essentially over. By the time that they reach his field, there wouldn't even be an hour's worth of work left in the day. This was the time of day when workers are cleaning their tools and washing up and getting ready to go home to have dinner. But even at this hour, he finds men standing around doing nothing. Among already desperate men, these are the most desperate of all. They basically know that they have no chance of being hired that day because the day is essentially over. But for whatever reason, they cannot bring themselves to go home just yet. And so they linger and hang around the town. Maybe they don't want to face their wife and kids and have to deliver the bad news that there would be no dinner that night and that yet again he would have to send his family home, uh, send his family to bed hungry. It's interesting that with this last group of workers in the 11th hour, there is absolutely no discussion of payment at all. They don't even talk about wages. He just simply tells them, come to my field and work. And in truth, I don't think any of them were expecting payment for the work that they were going to do that day. After all, what could they possibly expect for working less than one hour? They went to the field not because they were expecting anything from him. They went to the field because it was an investment. Work hard today, and maybe it means I'll have a job tomorrow. If I can at least show him my work ethic, that I'm a worthy worker. Maybe he'll ask me to come back tomorrow when I can actually get paid. Evening rolls around and it's time to pay everyone. And according to custom, the landowner should have paid the guys that he hired first in the morning first. But surprisingly, he starts with the last group first, who did the least 
amount of work. It's clear that the landowner wants the first guys to see the compensation of the last guys. And to everyone's shock, the landowner pays them as if they had worked the entire day. You know what exactly everyone else is thinking. If this is what he's giving these deadbeats who barely lifted a hand this day, I can't even imagine what we're going to get when it's our turn. But as he goes down the roll call, one by one, every single worker gets a denarius, one day's wage, no matter how long they've worked. I don't think any of these other guys were really complaining, though, because in truth, none of them worked a full day's work, and yet all of them got compensated more than they deserved, a full day's wage. That is until the landowner got to the very first group, the ones who were hired at the crack of dawn and actually worked a 12-hour shift. The landowner goes to them and he gives them the denarius that he had promised them, a fair wage, a generous wage. But rather than being filled with gratitude, they're filled with anger because they didn't receive a bonus. And they complained to the landowner, we broke our backs working for you all day in this scorching heat. But you paid these undeserving stragglers who didn't work nearly as hard as us the exact same amount. You see, the cry for justice wasn't because they were underpaid. Everyone was paid generously that day. But it was because others who were less deserving than they were shown grace. Instead of being touched by the landowner's generosity, they were angered and scandalized by it. Why? Because grace is always offensive to those who don't think they need it. Do you understand that? Grace is always offensive to those who don't feel they fall into that category of needing it. You see, if you feel that you've earned everything that you've received in life, it's only natural to feel that everyone else ought to do the same. And so what you ask out of life is not grace. It is justice. And it bothers you. It gets under your skin when it feels like somebody is getting a free ride when you yourself have never asked for one. A fair day's wage for a fair day's work was their motto. And it's interesting to me how quickly this first group of workers forgot that just a few hours ago, they were in the exact same desperate situation as everyone else that they were working alongside in that field that day. They too were standing around like everyone else, desperately hoping that someone would hire them so that they could put food on their tables as well. And how quickly they forgot the gratitude and relief that they must have felt when that landowner chose them for the job. And they realized that they were going to have work that day. These workers were just as desperate as everyone else. But those 12 hours of working in that field changed 
how they saw themselves. Gratitude gave way to entitlement. And the more new workers that kept showing up as the day wore on, the higher they began to see themselves rising on the pecking order. You know, unfortunately, all too often, I think this is exactly what happens to you and I. The longer we live the Christian life. What starts out as a journey of gratitude and grace deteriorates into the weight of God's demands on our lives. And the calculation, the constant calculation of everything that we've done for him. We lose sight of what God has done for us and focus more and more on what we are doing for him. And the more we do that, the more we feel we've proven ourselves, the more we've earned our seat at the table. And this is the scary thing, is that even in a community of grace, there's a pecking order, isn't there? Because yes, we all need the grace of God, but some of us need it more than others. And that becomes like poison in our blood. So we feel that we are just a little less needy than others who haven't proven themselves just quite yet. A life focused on ourselves and what we do never leads to joy. It never leads to freedom, but only more bondage and misery. The dutiful husband who feels that he is single-handedly keeping his marriage afloat, growing ever more resentful at his wife for not pulling her weight in the relationship. The dutiful mother who wonders if her ungrateful children will ever acknowledge all of the sacrifices that she had to make for them. The dutiful employee whose frustration and bitterness grows every day as he feels unappreciated by his boss and his co-workers who only seem to take advantage of his diligent work ethic. And on and on the stories can be told. Even of you and I in the church who find ourselves begrudging those who are given grace by God. I think we're fooling ourselves if we don't acknowledge that we all have some sense of sympathy for these first shift workers who came at the crack of dawn. Because if we're really honest, if we were in that group of people who are working from the very beginning, I suspect that all of us would have had the same complaint to the landowner. Don't we all in truth feel like a bit of injustice has been done that day? After all, how could it possibly be fair for someone to work less than an hour and get the exact same compensation as somebody who broke their backs in the heat of the day working 12? How could that possibly be justice? How could that be fair? There is a scandal to grace that is inescapable and real. And Jesus is putting that scandal right in front of our faces. Why should anyone be rewarded for something that they don't deserve? On the other hand, why should anyone get off the hook for the wrong that they've done and avoid the punishment that they deserve? Philip Yancey writes, grace, grace baffles us because it goes against the intuition everyone has That in the face of injustice, some price must be paid. A murderer cannot simply go free. A child abuser cannot shrug and say, I just felt like it. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, this is why this Good Friday service is so important for us 
Because on the cross of Jesus Christ, both God's justice and his mercy met. On Good Friday, we remember that God is able to lavish undeserving grace on all of us. And it's only because Jesus Christ took our place on the cross. And on that cross, a great exchange took place. Our sins cast on him and his righteousness credited to us. This grace cost us nothing, but cost him everything. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, verse 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And so the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. But Isaiah is saying is there's not one of us that doesn't fall short of the life that God demands. We're all on the same boat. We're all equally desperate and lost. The strange math of grace is offensive until we realize that none of us would make the cut unless that strange math existed. And I want to say that the actions of the landowner only seem like an injustice if we identify ourselves with that first group of workers who got, fired, who got hired right off the bat in the morning. But the gospel tells us that all of us are the workers who were hired in the final hour. All of us were the most desperate ones. None of us are actually in that category of the first ones hired. We all got a free ride. We all got grace. All of us were without hope. None of us had a fighting chance. All of us were ready to call it quits and go home hopeless. And Jesus came to us and said, come to my field and work for me. I'll give you a life. I'll give you a future. I'll give you a hope. Philip Yancey writes these words. From nursery school onward, we are taught how to succeed in the world of ungrace. The early bird gets the worm. No pain, no gain. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Demand your rights. Get what you pay for. I know these rules well because I live by them. I work for what I earn. I like to win. I insist on my rights. I want people to get what they deserve. Nothing more, nothing less. Yet if I care to listen, I hear a loud whisper from the gospel that I did not get what I deserved. I deserve punishment and got forgiveness. I deserve wrath and got love. I deserve debtor's prison and got instead a clean credit history. I deserved stern lectures and crawl on your knees repentance. I got a banquet spread out for me. The message of Good Friday is that this is your story and this is mine. Without the cross, none of us have hope. But in the cross of Jesus, we are given a lifeline that none of us deserve. Jesus, the only one who lived a perfect life, giving us his righteousness and taking our punishment on himself. Can I ask you to bow right now? As I close this word, I just want to end with the song lyrics of a song that we had just sung a little while ago. And I want you to just meditate on these words that we had just sung and think about what we said when we sang them to the Lord about how great a debt was paid 
at how great a cost on our behalf. The sad truth is that the longer that we seem to live the Christian life, the longer that we're in church, the more we get to lose that sense of wonder, the harder it is to blush when we look at the cross. Because the truth is, we don't actually really feel all that guilty, all that needy. The focus becomes so heavily on what we've done for God and the things that we feel we deserve. And like the older brother, the story of the prodigal son, in the face of the generosity of the father, our heart grows with anger and indignation. Life should be about what you deserve. And I don't get it. I don't get, God, why you're so generous to these people that don't deserve it. And on this Good Friday, we remember none of us deserved or got what we deserved. But all of us are recipients of a mercy that goes so beyond anything that we could ever imagine. As the song says, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that left him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath had brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. I just invite you to bow in a word of prayer as we continue on in our program this evening.